I watched a Nick Cage movie today. Um, what was it called? Bringing Up the Dead or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like a that's Scorsese. A, yeah, that's why I watched it. Well, that because the goat was in it. But uh, he's like a, a New York City uh, ambulance uh, driver slash medic. It was pretty cool. It like it had it had moments that were like fucking awesome, but then you could see why it wasn't why it's not considered like top tier Scorsese. But I enjoyed it still. I mean, it was it was still good. You okay, Hannah? We gotta um, we gotta talk about Axe Body Spray. Did you see that that Vine or TikTok or whatever I sent you about Axe Body Spray? It's like it's 2007 and you're going on a hot date. He like sprays his whole shirt, pulls his cargo shorts down, sprays inside, get his oh, yeah. boxer briefs, his Abercrombie boxer briefs sprayed down with some Axe. I just wish we could bring it back to the simpler times, you know? Like, let's just get back to just Axe Body Spray. No, Bodman fragrances. Do you remember those? It was oh, like, I want, some, I want your someone, bod. I want your bod. Yeah. It had the best commercials. It was like slow motion, black and white dudes with 16 packs, like shooting basketball. Pick up like, basketball. And like the girls would be like rubbing their hands across their chest. It's like, X is fine. It's just not, it doesn't hit that level of trashiness for me. I need something that's shaped like a, like a Febreze bottle. That's what I want to spray on myself. I remember a Zima commercial that was similar. Felt like yeah. they just probably rented. Well, it's the out same there. market. It's the same market. Yeah. It was like open gym nine to ten for Zima. Open gym ten to eleven for Bodman. You know what? You know what? When you go to Walmart around Christmas time, and they'll have like little like special gift packs. I like to picture it was like a Bodman fragrance, some like Camel cigarettes, and some Zima like all packaged together for you, twenty four ninety nine. Like Jimmy's gonna love this. Because that's the thing is you've got to get the alcohol Zima smell, the camel cigarette smell, and the bot because they all go together. They intertwine and give you that fragrance. That's the thing is like it's the individual pieces, the individual ingredients to make you smell this beautiful, aromatic, just masterpiece. That and you can't just get your mom a card and nothing else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Folk Dudes Podcast. I am Jazzy Jeff. Alongside me, on the other side of the laptop, on the other side of the country, West Coast Walker. How you doing, buddy? Great. Exactly. Sunday night, the best night. I start getting bummed out, like literally, like at two o'clock Sunday because I know what's coming. Like, uh, like I prefer Friday waking up. And knowing I have to go to work all day over Sunday, waking up and knowing that I'm going to have to go back to work on Monday. It's like the anticipation kills you. Truly, truly. Well, before we go too far into this, let's plug our socials at Real Folk Dudes on Twitter, Real Folk Dudes on Facebook. Look us up, engage with us, interact with us, slide into our DMs. Uh, we'd love to uh, interact with you guys and we want to create content that you guys want to hear. So be sure to hit us up. Our biggest sponsor ever, SE Sports, SE Sanctuary, at SanctuaryGG, SanctuaryGG.com. Check them out. They've got the eShop going. They've got their podcast. They've got their live streams on Stitch. In the mind of a gamer, you can always find Sanctuary. Find your inner sanctum. 
help us change the status quo at Sanctuary Esports. And don't forget our best friends over at Balls Energy. Oh, are you looking up the the product description from Amazon.com that I sent you? Balls Guarana is a flagship concoction of the Balls family. What does it taste like? It tastes like balls. Some say it tastes like uber smooth cream soda, but we remain firm in our assertion that balls is the only way to describe it. It's no big deal, really. It's just epic deliciousness and a devilishly stylish cobalt blue bottles infused with enough caffeinated guarana guts to send you into the stratosphere with no crash afterwards. That's all. Product does not have an expiration date. Date on bottle is a Julian code indicating production date. Please do not attempt to read date. Please contact Balls directly if you have any questions on the product date and shelf life. Balls. So today we're going to be breaking down episode three, Sabito and Makomo. We open with Tanjiro at Mr. Urukadaki's house. He's writing in his journal by candlelight like Doug Funny. He says, dear diary. No, so he, he uh, walks into the other room and he looks at his sister and Urukadaki walks in and says, let's go. And then we get our opening credits. Which that song is so fire. I love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking. Do, 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 do. Oh, do. <laughs> yeah, wasn't Doug on, was it, Doug was on Nickelodeon for a year and then it switched to Disney, I think. No, it was on Nickelodeon for a while and then it switched to Disney, but it was better uh, on Nickelodeon. Uh, it, it felt edgier on Nickelodeon because I, I would say everything on Nickelodeon is edgier, but sure. it was awesome. Skeeter. Roger Klotz, Principal Butt Savage, Patty yeah. Mayonnaise, Skeeter Valentino. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you ever think Nickelodeon was just one big cum joke? Well, I mean, it wasn't a joke, but yeah. Uh, yeah. They, I, like I like that they, they, I like that they sold um, GAC or slime or maybe both, something like that. And it was like the plastic that it came in was shaped like a big splat of ooze. And like kids would take it out and play with it. Now kids on YouTube make that shit. Like they get on YouTube and figure out like, okay, I can make it with glue and water and all this different stuff. But when we were kids in the 90s, they used to market that stuff and it would get stuck in the carpet and then your mom would beat the hell out of you. So after the credits, we get Urukadaki explaining the Demon Slayer core. He says there are hundreds of members. They are unrecognized by the government. They have existed since ancient times that they hunt demons, which would make sense. The leader of the Demon Slayer Corps has always been a mystery. They don't know when or where the demons started appearing, that the demons are physically superior, and that their wounds heal instantly, like Wolverine. He actually said that, like Wolverine from the X-Men. And they Change. often, they have several limbs that can regenerate, like Piccolo, and some can shapeshift, and some have other powers. And they can only be killed with sunlight, or decapitation with a special sword and the demon slayers fight at a severe disadvantage because of all these things and they fight to protect humanity i said this is quite a lore dump this is uh like when you start a campaign on D, &D and they're like okay we're going to give you everything all at once just listen up take notes but this is the world you live in now 
derivative of shonen, but there's a term for a genre of anime where someone is basically taken into a different world, a Dorothy Oz sort of thing. And no, yeah, I don't know what being, the word for that. He's not being taken into a different world, but he didn't know that demons were real and he still had a family. And now both of those things have changed. So he goes on to explain that Tanjiro's train is now training to become a demon slayer and that he must survive the final selection at Mount Fujikasami. And he will decide if Tanjiro is able to take on that challenge. So what he's going to be looking at now is more running down the mountain daily. And he continues to improve daily. And my thought is, who the hell is resetting all these traps? Every single day, like, is, is, he, is he getting up at three in the morning to uh, go out there and reset all these traps so that Tanjiro can run through them at five? Or did he just set up so many traps that no matter how, who goes down the mountain, however many times, there's always going to be more traps. So we're getting somewhat of a montage here. Uh, and I think that's probably the best way to get through it because otherwise it would be really repetitive to see Tanjiro running down the same mountain for like several episodes. I would have liked uh, Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush or mm. Montage from the Team America soundtrack. One or the we other. need a montage. Yes, there we go. We see Tanjiro practicing swinging his sword, and then you hear the song from Mulan. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Man, Phil Collins really went for it. <laughs> uh Hirokodaki explains the physics of slicing a sword, and he tells Tanjiro that if he ever breaks his sword, that he'll break every bone in his body, which is like the coach from, uh, uh, remember the Titans being like, you get blood on that Titans uniform. <laughs> water, water, water makes you weak. Water's for when you get blood on my uniform. You don't get blood on my uniform. We get a cool sparring session here. Uh, Urukadaki like totally just dominates him. He's in another he's in another class right now, uh, and then we we see him teaching breathing techniques and fighting forms, which is going to be huge for Tanjiro moving forward. Uh, he learns the total concentration breathing, and all ten of the water breathing forms. And at this point, he's been training for six months, and Nezuko has slept the entire time. Tanjiro is afraid that she's going to be dead one day. And Urukadaki had actually sent out for a doctor, but the doctor couldn't diagnose the problem because the doctor's used to dealing with people that aren't demons, I would assume. Tanjiro has to prove that he's ready to go to the next level. And he takes him to the giant stone and he tells him that if he can cut the boulder into two, that he will allow him to enter final selection. And it is a monstrous boulder and it does look impossible to cut. And the sword, Tanjiro assumes, would surely break if I was to try. And he says, after that day, he never taught me anything ever again. And my thought is, this is some Yoda shit right here. This is big time, like making the X-Wing rise. Like, uh, Tanjiro doesn't whine as much as Luke Skywalker, but it is definitely a master giving, like, a, a task that the student thinks is just totally impossible. Thinking about Urukadaki and making the, oh, the, the simile, our last episode, to drill sergeants, you know, like a, a, a PG-13 Arlie Army full metal jacket. And it reminds me of another Denzel role, He Got Game, mm -hmm. where he's also, where he's playing Ray Allen and Jesus Shuttlesworth, and he's teaching by bullying him mm -hmm. to so he can fight the bigger bully. 
Yeah, yeah, you got. I mean, that's how you do it. You break them down, build them back up. And that's why, that's why he was able to leave Kevin Garnett and not apologize. He was strong. Exactly, exactly. He was too strong for that. So Tanjiro has a, a determined look on his face. He draws his sword. He takes a big swing, and it's like, ding! It is not working. It shat. It like shakes his whole body, and. At that point, Tanjiro decides he needs to take it up a notch, and he practiced all of the lessons that he had learned from Urukadaki daily to prepare. And he would come back to the boulder after six more months and still couldn't do it. So he did what any like stone-cold killer would do. He trains even harder, and he was beginning to break down. He was yeah. kind of hysterical at a moment, and he hears someone say, silence. And he sees a boy with a mask on and no scent sitting atop the boulder and the boy tells Tanjiro a demon slayer bears his suffering in silence he jumps down he talks some shit and he challenges Tanjiro and he's got a wooden sword and he tells Tanjiro that he's already cut through his boulder and he moves very quickly and quickly embarrasses Tanjiro in a one-to-one one-on-one hand like so then he turns to his female counterpart and he says I'll leave the rest to you we see a young girl with a mask on the side of her face. And when Tanjiro awakes, he asks her if it's possible to become as strong as that guy. And she says, sure, you can. So it's classic good cop, bad cop. And again, back to the military vibe. It's like we break you down, but we break you down so that we can build you back up. She tells Tanjiro their names. She is Makomo and he is Sabito. So Makomo helps fix Tanjiro's bad habits and techniques and explains that concentration breathing, or she, explain, she explains the concentration breathing in further detail to him. And she says a cool quote here. She says, train until it kills you. And she says it so matter of fact, like, okay. Mm -hmm. So they're back on the grind, more training. And we see Sabito beating Tanjiro's ass over and over again for six more months. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to say six months later. They didn't have to pan that every couple minutes. It was just you'd see his hair grow a little longer. He'd look a little more unkempt. He yeah. uh, would move a little better, and you would just see that slowly. And I, I thought it was – I thought they paced it really well. They did, and I thought they did a cool job of explaining that it wasn't just that he's putting in the time. It's that he's literally ramping up as he goes. It's like the bar for what he thinks hard work is keeps getting raised. It's like – oh, I, I've killed myself to get to this point. And then, like, there's a new challenge that raises that. And then when he finally meets these two, train until it kills you. It's like, oh, okay. So literally, like, this is – I'm going to train harder than I can even fathom. Like, it's, right. it's just constantly upping the stakes, like, training to a level that, he, that before this started he didn't think was even possible. Tanjiro has another duel, and he says, this is the day I win. And Tanjiro wins. He cuts Sabito's mask right off of his face, super clean. One quick, decisive slash, and Sabito smiles as the mask falls on either side. And it's a smile of relief. And Makomo tells him that he did great. And she says, keep winning for me, okay? And the two fade away. And as they do, you see the boulder is sliced in two, and Tool's song, Right in Two, begins to play. Right in two. <laughs> and that is the end of the episode. 
Walker, um, my MVP was Macomo. I think she was positive, encouraging, and not sexist. She said something. I loved the little ominous uh, foreshadowing they give you because I'm pretty sure she says, uh, oh, you did really well. Do good against the next one, too. Yeah. And it's like, what are you keep raising. Yeah, exactly. So I really loved the remix to the Sword in the Stone. Like, we, you know, have that very traditional story, you know, over here. And I think this was a, a refreshing remix to that. It's like, mm-hmm. Here is your your great challenge. This is how you prove your worth. And, you know, to carve like a giant stone in two is really cool. It's cool imagery. It's a cool coming of age, becoming a man, progressing to the next chapter, the next level. And I really dug it. Yeah. Of the first three episodes, this was, I mean, this was the first one that I really loved. This is my favorite of the first three. Yeah. Just the ending, you know, you see the smoke clears and then it's like, where is my mind by the Pixies plays and the town just explodes. Mm-hmm. The virtue of suffering and silence. A lot of, uh, I think there's some Eastern philosophy and some religious philosophy in there um, that align provincially with where Tadra will be training in that period of time. The strong and silent type is what I kept thinking of. I kept thinking of when Tony Soprano's like in therapy and he's saying, you know, whatever happened to the strong and silent, the Gary Coopers with Giyu or a Kadaki, um, Sabato, he's already seen that people associated with demon slaying or training demon slayers um, or have experience in training to be a demon slayer uh, are hard as fuck. Yeah. And Tanjiro is just like you said, he's so pure and he's so, he he doesn't really have a choice sometimes, obviously, like just empirically um, and with his natural abilities. No, I mean, I agree. And it's interesting, you know, he's going to go to final selection here and he's going to be surrounded by a bunch of people that have actively sought out to become demon slayers with Tanjiro he didn't choose this path. This path chose him and he is pure and he is hardworking. Um, but he's not, not a fighter. He hasn't grown up training like that. And that's why I think this, this, Oh, that, and I was going to say, that's why this episode was so important was for you to see the, the great links that he had to go through in such a short amount of time. Like a lot of these people have been, probably been training their entire lives to become demon slayers. Tundra hasn't had that. He's had a very short amount of time. He was thrust into this situation and he really has done a good job about not bitching and not complaining. And he spent basically every waking moment since he walked in on his family being like completely massacred in a completely selfless working his ass off to become the strongest person he can so that he can do whatever he can to make it right which I think is going to be a lot different than most of the people that he's going to meet at final selection. And nowadays we just have therapy. Uh, Back then they had a, you know, you just dedicated your life to a service um, at a, at a young age. Tondra was like the sad clown. Oh, Tony, no. You're the, you know, anything about these uh, NFTs. (laughs) 
the boss of this family said you're doing the NFTs. All right, guys, make sure to check us out, Real Folk Dudes, at Real Folk Dudes on Twitter, Real Folk Dudes on Facebook. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Be sure to like us, subscribe, five stars, leave a review. We appreciate everything you guys are doing for us. Sanctuary Esports, at Sanctuary underscore GG on Twitter, SanctuaryGG.com. They have an online shop. They've got merch. They've got podcasts. They do Twitch streams. Check them out as they continue to carve their own path in the industry. Balls Energy. Drink it up. You already know what it is. It'll give you the kick of the pants you need. If you're driving long hours across the country, if you're staying up late cramming for a final, if you're staying up late cramming something else, Balls will give you what you need. Mm -hmm. Balls. Episode four was called Final Selection. Probably an appropriate name for it because the entire episode was about the final selection. We hear Tanjiro narrating how he has learned to detect the opening thread. And I really thought this was cool. I like the visual of it, like to see. And it reminded me a lot of uh, the Zelda Z targeting, like mm -hmm. on N64 when you would target on your, your enemy. Otherwise, you're just like hacking away randomly. But basically, he gets the scent. He sees the thread. The thread guides him, and it connects his blade to any opening the enemy leaves, and it tightens as soon as he sees it, and it looks really cool. It's kind of a spidey sense in a way, too. Yeah, that's a good call, yeah. Um, but it is super cool, and it sounds like super samurai-ish, so I dig it. Mr. Urukadaki approaches Tanjiro and sees his split boulder, and he tells him that he honestly hoped that he would fail. He didn't want to lose another child. He tells him that it's remarkable and that he's truly proud of him. And he says, come back from final selection alive. Your sister and I will be waiting. And he gives Tanjiro a hug. And I think now he can finally let his guard down because Tanjiro has proven that he's worthy. Now, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. He's taught him everything that he can teach him. He can let him know that he is proud of him because I don't think he was ever not proud of him. It was just, he couldn't reveal that until, you know, the chips fell one way or the other. So they go back to his house and they have a celebratory feast and Tanjiro gets another haircut because you can't be out there fighting demons with shaggy hair. He does say that he will be able to detect how many souls they've claimed with his sense of smell as it develops. So it reminded me of like in the cigar world or in the whiskey world, you talk about developing your palate and you get the tasting notes and stuff like that. It's like, as your nose becomes more, sophisticated and can pick up on more nuanced things you're literally going to be able to smell a demon and be like oh this guy has chomped down on however many people right right it's a, then it's he a gets, scouter yeah yeah it's over nine thousand. he gives tondro a mask it is a warden mask and it is enchanted with the protection spell so now he's part of the cool kids club when morning comes he gives him a new blue gi kind of like his like his own and he goes to see Nezuko he promises that he will come back for her and he Tanjiro thanks Urukadaki and then he heads off he has the mask to the side because he is a G and he wears his Yankee so tilted he actually walks with a limp oh. and he yells say hi to Sabito and Makomo for me and Urukadaki is like jaw to the to the floor he's like how does he know the names of the dead 
And that is why Tanjiro couldn't smell them when he met them and he was chilling on the boulder because they were ghosts. He travels through a forest of purple wisteria plants. They're everywhere. And it's actually beautiful. Like we are a team purple podcast anyways. Purple is, you know, like one of our top three, top two favorite colors. And it looks awesome. Those pretty purple flowers everywhere. And it's... Yeah, it just looks awesome. And it looks awesome, too, just in, in contrast. You know, like you see, like, the darkness and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden here's this beautiful purple. Uh, kind of reminded me of when we played uh, Secrets, of, Secrets of Mana. Yes. On yes. the Super Nintendo, like, that beautiful, like, color scheme. Everything's popping. Got a lot of uh, pastel colors, stuff like that. Very, very beautiful. I love the surrealism of it, 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 it's prison bars to a demon. Yeah. So you can capture the most them beautiful you bring, thing. You bring yeah. them in, a, in around, you put the perimeter of something as beautiful as wisteria flowers, you can contain them and they can't leave, no matter yeah. how strong they are. Yeah. That is beautiful symbolism there. So he gets to a clearing and he sees many students there waiting. And most of them look very intense. And then you have two creepy looking girls that are standing in unison, like the girls on The Shining. And they greet everyone. Forever? Never? (laughs) They uh, explain that the wisteria does keep the demons away, but the wisteria ends here, and they need to go outside of that and survive in the mountains for seven days. You know it's going to be a tough test when the test is go out here for a week and don't die. So we see Tanjiro running, and as he is, you can hear his internal dialogue as he's planning a strategy. The plan is, survive the night, rest by day, and go east where the sunlight hits first. And as he's thinking this, he immediately smells a demon, stopping him in his tracks. And a demon strikes from above with a long tongue, long hair, big eyes, and just basically think venom. And another demon appears, and now the two are fighting over who gets to kill Tanjiro. Yeah, eventually they both go after Tanjiro, but my boy, he's ready. Total concentration, water breathing, Smells the thread. Really beautiful animation here. And it kind of gives you some uh, manga vibes as the way they chose to illustrate it. But you see the water uh, from the sword and the sword kind of bends and creates like this really cool like tidal wave looking thing. And he does the fourth form, striking tide, and he kills both the demons decisively. And this is actually a proud moment for Tanjiro as he thinks like, wow, I just killed some demons. And he watches as the demons disintegrate. Now we get a, a flashback for a brief second, and we see Mr. Urokodaki explaining now uh, how his a special demon sword is the only way to kill the demons, and the special demon slayer sword is made with steel called Nichiren, Nichiren sword. All right, so we go back to Tanjiro in real time as he prays over the fallen demons, because that's what he is. The kid is too pure. At this point, he smells something rotten. He had just killed two demons that were like, oh, that stinks. But this is like, oh, this is like Cousin Eddie, like filling up the entire sewage system with shit from his trailer. And he sees a guy running, terrified. And now he sees a giant demon chasing after him that looks like Boba the, or Jabba the Hutt. Now we see Sabito and Makomo as they discuss whether or not Tanjiro could defeat him. And him, I would assume, would be this giant, rotten-smelling demon. And we go back to Tanjiro 
with the giant multi-armed Jabba the Hutt demon as he watches him swallow a guy whole. And then he grabs another guy like he's grabbing another piece of chicken out of the bucket. And Tondro is visibly scared, but determined to save him. So he does his water breathing, second form, water wheel, cuts the demon's arm off, saving the man from his grasp. Now the demon recognizes the fox mask and asks Tanjiro what the date is. And he freaks the hell out when he finds out that it's a whole new period that he's still trapped here in. And he tells Tanjiro that Urukadaki is the one that actually captured him and brought him here 47 years ago in the Edo period. And in that time, he's eaten at least 50 people. Tanjiro would be the 14th of Urukadaki's students. And the reason he's able to recognize them is because of the masks, which he's kind of like, you know, oh, your guy thinks he's pretty slick putting these masks on. It just makes you kids easier to find so I can eat y'all up to spite him. Darkly satisfying that they kind of added that layer there. Mm -hmm. the, the paradox of the mask he gives to protect them also makes them a target. Another curse of his competency, demons not picking out other school students. Like, you were so sick and awesome that he picks out your students we get back into just the balance of everything for every really like great thing or even noble deed there is a demon there to manipulate that and reverse it for something else well and and I, look i know i'm going to wear you all out with star wars but that's a common theme in star wars everything is about balance it goes back and forth when you take from one thing another goes somewhere else like it's all a balance you know everything is in its place or to go to, back to Thanos, perfectly balanced. When's the Star Wars Avengers movie coming out? <laughs> yeah, they have a crossover with uh, Rick and Morty and Avengers, and uh, it's going to be awesome. They're going to have six extra Spider-Men that show up. Hopefully they can cross over with uh, National Geographic as well. Yeah. So then you can get the <laughs> sex scenes. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Tanjiro gets very angry and charges. When he does this, he has uneasy, uneven breathing, and he is extra vulnerable. He gets punched hard, and he gets slammed against a tree. And as he does, his mask shatters. Uh, the man that he saved now runs away, and the demon reaches to grab Tanjiro. And Tanjiro hears a voice say, Tanjiro! And it's the voice of Nezuko. And as he, does, as he hears this, he wakes up and he dodges narrowly. Tanjiro is now cutting the arms of this demon off, this, like, relentlessly but as soon as he cuts them they're regenerating so it's a, a never-ending thing here and we see a brief flashback of Sabito's sword breaking off when he faced off against the demon and then the demon killing him which is really like like man that's a sad scene yeah and it goes to show like this kid you know this kid was the shit like he yes. was a, a great swordsman and this demon still got him so Makomo and Sabito are now talking and Makomo says do you think he will he will beat Tanjiro? His neck is thick. Can it be cut? And Sabido says, I'm not sure, but he did slice that boulder. It's the biggest and most challenging of them all. And the demon does have the thickest neck you've ever seen. It's like Brock Lesnar's style neck. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Suplex City. Frank Tan Beer had a golden horseshoe up his ass. <laughs> drink Coors Light because Bud Light won't pay me anything. Tanjiro is going for it at this point. He's uh, surprising the demon and with his with his moves and instincts and he does the total concentration first form 
he sees the thread, water surface slash, and he takes the demon's head straight off his shoulders, and that is the end of the episode. Pretty epic way to end a generally great episode anyways. And that's what's crazy is, man, this episode was like 20 minutes long. Yeah, that's... A lot happened in 20 minutes. It zips. I've seen this in Jujutsu Kaisen and My Hero Academia. I feel like both of those shows also had really big training scenes in the woods. So mm-hmm. in some ways, there is sort of a, a trope to that. Yeah. But they were... That's anime 101. But this is the most twisted and diabolical rendition of the three. Yeah. Satisfying payoff at the end. It's, totally. it's Tanjiro leveling up. It's Tanjiro getting redemption for his new friends and for his trainer and for all those others that have fallen to this demon. Yeah, it's, it's Tanjiro taking the next step towards his overall greater goal of becoming a demon slayer so that he can eventually, hopefully, save his sister. But yeah, it's really cool. Uh, and the payoff after seeing the beginning of the episode, um, it's one episode that takes place over the course of like over two years. But a lot happens in that two years. And most of it is just him working his ass off. And the last little bit is the payoff. And I mean, growing out is beautiful, Maine. It did look great. The thing I loved, one of my favorite parts about all the first four episodes uh, is that shot when he's coming in for the final blow. And I think against the, when he was facing the lesser demons, quote unquote, facing multiple enemies, he went to like a second form, third form, fourth form, like the wheel, things that would be like if you were playing a fighting game, your long range attacks, your your multiple strike attacks. But mm-hmm. when he comes to actually finish the demon after using all of his different movement, he uses his first form mm-hmm. because that's the one he knows the best. And for a single enemy, one concentrated make, blow. Yeah. One clean crit. So yeah, it's beautiful and it's poetic. Uh, I would also compare what you're talking about to use K with the spirit gun versus his shotgun you know, a spray attack that's going to get a lot of people, cover a lot of lot of range versus a more precise, you know, aimed attack that's going to focus all of the energy and power into one singular attack. Remember when they gave him a bunch of gadgets and then Toguro showed up and they were like, all right, fuck all that. Yeah. <laughs> he like had all these spirit, he had all this spirit. Like a special he- ring and stuff. Oh, you're talking about when he had like, yeah, like a, like basically a Dragon Ball radar and all that different stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then it was like, you're done with that. You're yeah, not. We're, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> you don't. No. Such a great show. And I still say that the first like whole season of that to me is like some of the best anime I've ever seen. But I could go on and on, on and on about that. And the second season is even better. It's not. But I know you think it is. The. Tournament, all right. The dark tournament to me, it was really good and it was more enjoyable than most of the tournament stuff you get in Dragon Ball Z. But it just reminded me so much of that that it's like, okay, yeah, I get the tournament. That's neat. But like, I love the, you know, the first episode, the main character dies and like, okay, here we go. What are we going to do here? Like, it's just, I don't know. I, I thought it was way different than anything else I had seen on television. And then the second season reminded me of something that I had seen for years on television. So, I get what you mean, but it was better than, like, the Cell games. Yeah. No, the Dark Tournament is better than any of the tournaments that we would see. And a lot of the tournaments were, like, in Dragon Ball. 
Um, not as much as Dragon Ball. I want Ball to know Z. a better tournament. There's not. There's not. But I'm just saying, like, I had seen it. You don't care about the tournament arcs as much. I had seen countless tournaments, is my point. Did you see the 2015 NCAA tournament? Here's the thing is, these guys go through, like, this extremely emotional, like, they care a lot. You want them to care a lot, and they do care a lot. And then after they get their hearts ripped out, you want to sit them in front of a camera and then be like, okay, give us the politically correct answer here. No, actually, they say be authentic, but don't be too authentic. It's like, what do you want from these kids? Like, this kid's 18 years old. His entire life was this moment. You know, this is the biggest day of his life. He's pretty heartbroken. Like, what he says, you really don't need to be, like, putting it under a microscope because – He's just a kid, but you got to love the, and I mean, especially that's before the NIL deal. So yeah, you have like, just express yourself honestly. Oh, I don't want to leave the locker room. I'm incredibly depressed. What else could, can we do for you? Mm -hmm. You know, now that they have NIL, that's like, man, I'm so upset. I will probably go to Fazoli's and eat 10 of their delicious buttery breadsticks the combo platter is delicious and everyone should try it. It's a great way to cope with the loss. It comes with lasagna and spaghetti and a large Sprite. I try to think like if I was a kid back then, like or if I was a kid right now and I was like an elite athlete, what sponsors would I want? And I, you know, like, what, what are some of the sponsors you would definitely want to have right now? Other than balls, obviously, because that's where you start. Oh, like brand worship. Um, Hmm. you got to have like a car like mercedes or something i think a gibson guitar would be pretty cool that would be sick yeah like because they got the class they got the great classic electrics and then they've got some maybe the best acoustics out there now yeah gibson's the play like fender has awesome electric but like if you want the best of both of them you go you want the worst acoustics then you definitely fender yeah but i mean like like you go in the acoustic world, you've got like Taylor and you've got uh, Martin, but I don't know if they even make electric. If they do, they're not something that's super known. But like you know, in electric, it's that's the Fender world. But Gibson has it all. You got the Hummingbird, and then you've got like the Les Paul. I mean, there's everything. Oh, I forgot to say this, not to bring this up again, but I did start it, um, and I've told you this before, but we've never put it on wax before vengeful wish that um Kentucky would have like the their best season ever and then lose at the very end because I thought that that would put Kentucky fans in their place Mm -hmm. and at the time when I first thought about this they had only played they only played 39 games that was the most you could play so I would always say I think it would be funny if they went 38 and one and Mm -hmm. lost in the championship now, not exactly how it happened, but close enough. The Lord works in mysterious ways for you, I guess. And if he looked like Sam, if he looks like Sam Decker for two hours, then so be it. But anyway, that was the period, one rule I gave you in this podcast: is to never bring up 2015. Society really was a simpler time before Kentucky lost that game. If you ever, if you really look, think about it like that. Well, I think shortly after that, Harambe Harambe died. Right. And then COVID Get out of was my right mind. Corner. Yeah. So, oh, you say Kofi? 
COVID. COVID. Kofi Kingston. Coney. 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 Sounds like you're saying Pam. Pam enough. You're still a hater, but not not nearly like you were back then. That was. And I just hope you know that after that game, I went back to my room and I turned the lights out and I laid there under the blanket with my eyes closed for like an hour. Like I didn't talk to anybody. Hannah's like, "Are you really?" gonna act that way over a basketball game and I was like just leave me alone yeah well because you you would watch enough basketball to know that it wasn't the wait till next year kind of game it was like no you don't get you don't get you don't ever get that no well there well after that happened I'm like okay there won't be a perfect team that's just not gonna happen that was the one opportunity it was literally the perfect opportunity the only opportunity we were ever gonna get to go 40-0 and we were that close no and I mean, screw Baylor, but I did get some satisfaction in Gonzaga losing that championship game because mm-hmm. it's not their fault that they would have had a shortened season. It would just be really weird for post-1975 to have a 32-win undefeated season. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And, it's, and, like, and I hate that Indiana's the last school to do it, but it's better that than the alternative. At least it's, an, it's a traditional power, and at least they played, like, in a real conference. Right. You know, and, like, it doesn't – not to say that Gonzaga wasn't good then, that they're not awesome now, but it makes me think about those old – I don't know what year they probably were, but, like, I remember like seeing them at the library when I was a kid, like the old Lord of the Rings books. Cause like they, you know, they keep getting remade with, you know, the one, the first set that I had was like with the, the characters from the actual movie. Um, right. On the that's the worst. That's yeah. Like, that, that's, it's literally like, the worst. Yeah. yeah. But like, I remember seeing the ones like at the library when we were in school that had like the old school art that had, it would have like mountains that you could see like the clouds around them and stuff. Like I love that like old school fantasy art. Oh, Actually, yeah. I, I watched a really cool documentary. I think it was on Netflix. It might have been on HBO. It could have been on Amazon Prime. Um, I'll try to remember to send it to you. But it was about specifically the art of Dungeons and Dragons and how, you know, this is a game that people are playing with their imagination. So what you want to do besides giving them rule books and handbooks, you know, the thing that sells these books to kids or even, you know, dorky adults like myself is like really cool artistic illustrations that stoke the flame of your imagination and like they would that that was a huge part of their budget was hiring like these amazing fantasy artists and they talked about how modern nerd culture things today like magic the gathering and things like that are heavily influenced by those handbooks that the, the artist that did the handbooks for old Dungeons and Dragons. And it's, it's a really cool documentary to see the way they, they, they basically headhunted like the best of the best, like legitimate artists. And were like, Hey, I know you're like a legit artist, but would you mind coming on our team? Uh, I can't remember who owned them at the time, but basically being like, you know, instead of drawing like these really cool, you know, instead of doing these paintings of sunsets or whatever, what if like, you did like a cool scene of like a fucking orc and uh, a woman with tentacles on her heads and a floating eyeball and just like really cool creative things. And most of these artists were like, all right, bet, let's do it. Yeah. It's really cool though. I didn't know that I would have any interest in, but watching like really good players play D&D and good isn't even necessarily what you think of. 
like someone who's good at playing Mario Brothers is good at like the technical aspects and you know memorizing levels and stuff like that someone who's good at D&D can be good at those things but when I think of someone who's good at D&D I think of someone who's really good at playing a role like they they sell it and like a lot of them are like good voice actors and like they become the character and it really sucks you in in a way you wouldn't expect because like they're just doing the imagination thing and you just get sucked right into it it's like you're uh robin williams and hook and like they start Mm. eating fake food and you're right there like feasting on it you know paying the man throwing fucking ice cream at rufio's face i'm just gonna go from my lifetime because that's what most people do with comedy because you probably don't find something from the 60s hilarious the same way you would have things that came out when you were a kid so obviously D &D. that's number one that's the goat best comedy of all time idiocracy just get shoots up the list every year i can't disagree with you it, it literally like it was funny the first time i saw it but it gets funnier every year as it's, every that's year why goes, blazing saddles more, was so good it becomes more relevant dumb and dumber is literally a funny quote an iconic quote from the moment the movie starts until the moment the movie ends i mean the entire it's like the goodfellas movie. of comedies yes Extra gloves? You had extra gloves this entire time? <laughs> all bangers, all the time. Pretty bird. Mock. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think uh, Anchorman has to be in the top three. And it's not nearly as good as, as Dumb and Dumber. And I don't think it's as good as Idiocracy. But I do think it's great. And I do think that there was a period in time where, like, that was the movie. If you're in our age group, that it was like, oh, okay, like, everybody knows every line of this movie. And there were some, like, big-time actors on it. That was, like, a big crossover movie where, like, there are just so many A-list comedy actors on that movie. You know one that's super overrated by a lot of people our generation? The Hangover. Vacation. Oh, easy, buddy. You said The Hangover? Hangover's overrated. I mean, it's funny. It's just The Hangover, it was, you had to just consider your source. It's actually a good gauge. Like I ask people like, oh, what's your favorite comedy movie? And if they say something like that, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I know you're not probably going to be particularly fun. Right. Someone that says idiocracy or dumb and dumber, I'm like, we're going to be best friends. The jerk. Like, Wedding, Wedding Crashers is awesome. Wedding uh, Crashers is good. And I mean. I like Van Wilder a lot. I thought that was a good one. Okay. Okay. Oh, Tenacious yeah. D in the Pick of Destiny. Yep. I wouldn't call it a classic, but that was a fun movie. Tenacious D was fun. Uh, Van Wilder was fun. Kurt, I didn't know you were a dick. Delta. <laughs> you showed me a life I could only dream about while masturbating in my father's woodshed. Oh, that is a good movie. I always loved that was like they would keep the franchise going. So then they'd get a sequel with someone who was not only not going to be as famous as Ryan Reynolds, but doomed for being put in a comparative role to Ryan Reynolds. It was a no-win situation. Yeah. 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 You know what movie, you know what movie it it's not bad, but it, to me, it's not nearly as funny as it was when I first watched it is uh Talladega Nights and a movie that got much better to me years down the road, Step Brothers. Yeah. They were probably about even for me. And now Step Brothers is way ahead of Talladega Nights for me. It is weird how like Will Ferrell could have, could have such a mainstream career, but at the same time, kind of have movies that can still grow on you. 
Like yeah. most of his movies probably won't age well because he was just a trend. Yeah. But some of them will Anchorman, Step Brothers. Apparently, he, so he was good in, in the movie The Campaign with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Now it didn't get a, it wasn't super popular, but it was actually pretty funny. Yeah, I just I didn't like movies like everything, but I didn't like the movies where we had we were supposed to feel sorry for Will Ferrell. I didn't like yeah, that. His um persona is something that like it doesn't really work that way. And like he may be the nicest guy in the world, but he doesn't appear that way to me. He right. looks like a smug douche. Right, right. I mean, if he wants to jump on the pod, defend himself, you know, I'd be more than happy to let him plead his case. I'm just telling you, he looks like a smug douche. Yeah, I I tell him I love to tell it to his face. Yeah. On on the real folk dudes podcast. 